You know, I mean, it was it was kind of awesome when the first line of the first song was "Water you turned into wine," and then I, I'm preaching on John two, where Jesus turned water into wine. Um, this is. <clears throat> I just need to let you know that today nobody's exempt. This, as you can tell by my shaking, I'm a little bit nervous today. Um, this one is for everybody from the front row to the crow's nest. Everybody who's from the Sunday school teacher, the pastor, the preacher, the praise team, it's nobody's exempt. And you know, the thing is, a lot of times we get up here and we start talking. If I want to get a lot of amens, all I got to do is talk about the church, right? And I can talk about other people because, I mean, most of the time, let's just be honest, most of the time when people are going amen, they're saying, amen, you tell them, brother. They need to hear it. Amen. Well, let me tell you something. This one's for you, okay? This, this is not for everybody else, because most of the time we sit in church and we got a shovel. And we say, that's right, that's for him, and that's for him, and that's for her. When in reality, that thing needs to hit us in the face most of the time. Um, <clears throat> wow. I've got a lot of scripture today. As most of you know, whenever I preach, there's a whole lot of it. Because I'd rather you hear from him instead of me. Because he's a lot better at this than I am. Good gosh, I'm shaking like a leaf. Um, <laughs> what's funny is I sit there this morning and Dustin come up to me and he said, you look nervous. Said, yeah. He said, man, you've done this before. Yeah, but it's different. So... Verse 1, John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. I'm going to hang out there for a minute. You know, I, th I think the majority of us know that where this is going, right? I mean, I, I've heard people who don't even know the Bible or know anything about the Bible, they know Jesus turned water into wine, especially people who like to drink a lot, right? Because, I mean, this is an excuse, right? Well, Jesus turned water into wine. One, you need to understand it's first century. You know, it's not, you know, 21st century. You know, they didn't exactly have, you know, filtered water. They didn't have big plants set up where they could run their water through pipes and everything else. I mean, you know, it's a little bit different. You know, they use it for, but I'll get into that later. Um, <clears throat> but I think the most important thing we need to understand is that Jesus' ministry starts at a wedding. And I, this is his first miracle that he performs in public. And so there's a reason why he does this at a wedding. Because I believe Jesus is starting to lay the foundation. You know, Revelation 21.9 says... Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, 
I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. I may have given you these in a messed up order, but I'm, I apologize. Um, <clears throat> it, I, I gave all these to Megan in a certain order, and then here I go, and I'm going to change everything up in the, right in the beginning. Uh, but it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me, carried me away into the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Uh, Revelation 21.1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Romans 7.4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. See, the whole purpose, I believe, of Jesus starting at a wedding was to let us know where we stand. The whole thing about, it's not about me. Old Testament was about them and God. It was about following the law, following the rules, following everything. Make sure we, we got to do everything just a certain way. And then Jesus comes along and just messes everything up, right? Because everybody says, well, I'm following the rules. And they, he says, no, you're not. You think you are, but you're not, right? He said, because if you, the law says if you commit adultery, right? He says, but I say, that's what's awesome is when Jesus comes along, he says, yeah, the law says this, but I say, and I am the law. He says, I say, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery. See, we, we, we've done that in the church so long where we teach everybody how to be a Christian. You do this, you don't do this. You do this, you don't do this. <clears throat> so we've got a whole bunch of people that look like Christians that are not. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know it. Jesus refers to himself as a bridegroom. Another thing that happens at a wedding is two lives become one inside of God. It's not just, we're not just playing games, right? Genesis 2, 18, am I going to go all the way? Yeah, why not? And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall <coughs> excuse me, on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. That's the problem is we got people getting married who aren't men. They still want to hang on to mama and come drag your daughter away. Good luck. Come to my house and try it. 
Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? This is Jesus speaking, by the way. For those of you, you know, we hear people say, Well, Jesus never said anything about, okay, you know what? I'm, yeah. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Jesus never said anything about a man and a woman getting married. Okay, let's see. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall he leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, the thing is, we look at marriage in, in, in our 21st century American way, right? And there, and in the first century in Jerusalem, it didn't happen that way, right? It, Mama and Daddy picked who was going to get married, right? We don't have that nowadays. You know, my, my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law are sitting in here, two of the best people you ever meet in your life, and if you want to argue with me about it, get ready. Um, but Brenda, we, we were older. We'd both been already been married, been divorced, you know, so people can say, well, you know, you've been divorced. What can you tell me about marriage, you know, how to have a good marriage? I can tell you how not to have a bad one. I can tell you that, you know, um, but so we were older, but you know, the thing is she was living with them. Okay. She's already got two kids. She's grown, but out of respect for them, I still went to her daddy and asked for her hand. We got people now that won't even do You got kids now that won't even, don't even have respect for the parents to be able to come up and say, Can I please marry your daughter? Or do you mind if I date your daughter? You know, it, it, because we've got everything so out of whack. We don't understand what relationships are all about, right? We, I know we got a bunch of kids in here that some, some just got married, some been married for a while. We got people who's been married longer than I've been alive, you know, and I'm almost 50. I know I look like I'm 25, but I'm almost 50. <laughs> Shut up, Joe. <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> but, you know, we've made it where love is just, our idea of love is you make me feel good, so I want to date you. You make me feel good, so I want to marry you. I like how you treat me. So you don't really love the other person. You still just love you. You just like what they can do for you. So it's really your love for self. Marriage is about sacrifice. Marriage is, I love you more than you love me. Or, I love you so much that I'm second, you're first. You know, the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. How did he show his self? How did he show his love for us? He sent his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? That's how you show love. Love is sacrificial. Love means it's more about you and less about me. I'm going to read this later, but it's my father-in-law's favorite verse, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. If we all would live our lives... To say Jesus must increase and I must decrease. You know how much better this whole world would be? You know how much better the church would be? Do you know how much better my house would be? But you know the thing, it starts with me. You know, the thing is, 
the bride gives up her name. See, you want to know why the church has got a mess, why the church is so messed up right now? We don't know our role with God. We don't understand. We are the bride of Christ. He lays it out. I'm going I'm to go through that here in a minute. But, you know, Ruth, where am I at? I didn't through all this stuff. Ruth, what I love about Ruth, Ruth 1, Ruth said, for those of you who don't know, okay, Ruth was a Moabitess, okay? Ruth was not even an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. She married an Israelite who they had moved to her country, okay? So Ruth gets married. Ruth's father-in-law dies. Ruth's husband dies. Ruth's brother-in-law dies, right? So it's just the three women. Ruth tells her mom, her, her mother-in-law is trying to get her to go back to your people. Go back to your people. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Right? So, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. We're not willing to do that with Jesus. Most of us, we're just playing the game. You know, it, it's, it's just, I want to play like I'm married, right? We just, most of us just want to play house with Jesus, you know. We just want to get what he's got for us, and then we just move on, and, you know, it's just, as long as you're doing good to me, I'm okay. But as long as you're doing something that I don't like, mm, we got a little issue. I'm not going to do this. right? But see, the thing is, if we really give our lives to Christ, we do like this. We give up who we are. That's why Brenda's last name is not Moore. Brenda's last name is Early. Because when we got married... We went that following Monday, we had her, birth, her, her, her social security changed, we had her driver's license changed, we had, I put her on my bank account, she put me on her bank account, because we're now one. The two have become one flesh. And see, the thing is, it's, it's no longer Raymond and Brenda, it's Raymond and Brenda. We have a, we started our most of you know we had at one time a, a donut shop, and, and don't ever do that. It's not a good thing. Uh, <clears throat> but the name of our LLC is Rayburn Legacy, R-A-Y-B-R-E-N. Y'all have no idea. Y'all don't have a clue. Um, but we named it Rayburn because it's mine and hers. It's together. It's, 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 it's two of us are one. Y'all just made me lose my train of thought. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> I'll take it any day. So... Now, we got Christians. 
that want to hyphenate their name, right? I want to be, you know, I, I want to be a Christian, but I still want to be part of the world. I still got, I still got to be me, right? I, I can't give up who I am, right? Because, I mean, that, that's just not right, right? Well, don't argue with me, argue with him. He's the one that wrote this, right? I mean, you know, Ruth 2, 11 and 12, this is Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Oh my gosh, could I hang out right there for a while? Because I'm going to tell you something, man. If you, some of y'all have heard my testimony. You know, what's funny is people who see me now have no idea who I used to be, who has now gone away, but... I'm on. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Here's the interesting thing about Ruth is Ruth's husband had died. Right? Her husband, oh, her husband was gone, but she still hung on to her family because she said, you know what? He may not be here right. Jesus may not be here right now. But you know what? We still got a family to hang on to. He left us a remnant. He said, listen, I'm leaving, but here you go. Right? He didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell in us, to be, to change us. Right? To make us who we need to be and to quit trying to be who we want to be. You know, um, Luke 14, this is Jesus speaking again. Uh, verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone... Oh, you got to count the cost, man. How many people rush into marriage now, and you have no idea what they're getting into? They don't have a clue. Right? And got no idea. Right? But we got, we've done that in the church, though. We invite people, hey, come in, say the sinner's prayer, repeat a prayer after me. How many people have repeated a prayer after their Sunday school teacher or their their, their uh, uh, vacation Bible school teacher or their mother or their grandmother or their daddy or their preacher, and they just repeated the prayer But it, because we just want them into the church, right? We just want to make sure, oh, you, you repeated the sinner's prayer. You're good to go. I'm going to tell you something. I've said this, and I believe it 100%. We're not going to be surprised by the people who we don't see in heaven. If you're in heaven, you're going to be surprised. No, I, I take that back. We're not going to be surprised by the people we do see in heaven. Because there's a change that happens. If you're in heaven, you're going to be surprised by the people who you don't see. Well, where's, where's Miss So-and-so who I saw in the church every day I was there? Oh, depart from me for I never knew you. That's some of the scariest words in the Bible. Because the thing is, we don't count the cost. We, we don't tell people, hey, look, you can come to Jesus, but there's a price to pay. You know, he hung naked on the cross. The least I can do is give my life to him. You know? And he tells us here in Luke 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not... Where's this, where's this loving Jesus that don't want to do anything to hurt my feelings? I want to know where that one is. Because he ain't in here. I can guarantee you that. Right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, this is Bible, people. Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Surely God would not ask me to leave that person. 
Surely Jesus would not ask me to break off that relationship. Surely Jesus wouldn't tell me, well, I love him. I love her. Yeah, but they're dragging you down. Surely Jesus wouldn't want me to break off this friendship even though they're pulling me away from him. No. I beg to differ. For which of you... We cannot skip this one. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Let's skip on down to verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all. All. You know what that word in the Greek means? All. All that he has cannot be my disciple. We, we're not willing to forsake anything. We're not willing to forsake our jobs. We're not willing to forsake our relationships. We're not willing to forsake traditions inside the church. Because those things mean more to us than he does. Right? How many of us, if I get married, you know... When I married my wife, there's things I had to turn around. There's things I had to turn away. When I gave my life to Christ, there's, there's people and there are things that I walked away from that I thought there's no way I can make it without this. And then I walk away from it and now here I stand going, how did I ever associate with that? And how did I ever live like that? It's simply by the grace of God. Let me tell you something. It's the grace of God. I'm not dead in a ditch somewhere. Oh, this is going to be ugly. It matters who you marry. And I'm going to talk about, I'm not talking about just Christ. I'm talking, it matters who you marry. The Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. You know, we've always made it where it's, well, that means you don't marry somebody outside your denomination, which I believe the denominations are the best thing that the devil ever created to split the church, but that's my opinion. But... <clears throat> You know, 1 Kings 16, 13. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. This is talking about Ahab. That he took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. 1 Kings 21, 25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. The problem was his wife. Now, now, granted, the problem was Ahab too. Because it says in chapter 16, 31, that because he treated sin as a trivial thing, he married Jezebel. Because he saw sin as it wasn't really that big a deal it affects your relationships. It affects who you hang out with. You know, 1 Corinthians 5, yeah, 1 Corinthians 5, you know, Paul tells us that to not even hang out with people who are drunkards and blasphemers and people who are idolaters, right? And he says, I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people in the church, people who call themselves a brother, but yet... You know, they do everything that has nothing to do with a Christian, but yet, 
what do we do, right? What's our first response? Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring them to God. More than likely, most of the time, they're going to drag you down. Because they don't see what they're doing is wrong because they're in church every Sunday, right? Because they hang out with, with Christian people and they know all the Christian lingo and they know everything there is to know because we've taught them. We taught them how to be Christians, right? We didn't bring anybody to Christ. We didn't disciple anybody to make, you know, lead anybody to Christ. The, the reason most people can't lead anybody to Christ is because they're not there themselves. So he marries Jezebel. So what happens? What does Jezebel look like? Jezebel is in rebellion against her husband. Jezebel says, I'm in charge, not you. Right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because then I'm really going to make people mad. But how many of you wives have said, you may be the head, but I'm the neck? There's a Jezebel spirit for you, ain't it? Huh? Because that's what happened, right? You know, Ahab wanted a vineyard. And so he wanted Naboth's vineyard. Well, Naboth said, no, this is, this is my family's. I'm not, I'm not selling you this. I'm not giving this to you. Right? And so what happens? He goes in and he pitches a fit to Jezebel. Jezebel turns and she has Naboth knocked off. And then she goes into Ahab. She uses Ahab's authority and Ahab's name to accomplish what she wanted done. Let me tell you something. If you are manipulating your husband to get what you want, that's a Jezebel spirit is what that is. If you are not submitted to your husband, how can you say you're submitted to your husband when God's... How can you say you're submitted to God if you're not submitted to your husband? Men, don't start amening because your time's coming. The problem is, most Christians today, they're using Jesus' name illegally, right? Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? Preach sermons in your name? Witness to people in Walmart in your name? Taught Sunday school in your name. Sang on a praise team in your name. Right? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What you did was illegal. You had no authority to do what you did. Somebody goes to the bank and tries to take money out of my account and says they're my wife. Unless it's Brenda Early, you're doing it illegally. She's the only one that has authority to do things in my name. That's it. It's only if you are in a true relationship with Christ do you have authority to do things in his name. We have, made, we have turned it and made it into a magical prepositional phrase. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? It's, just a, it's a tagline is all it is. Right? We do it just, just so we can... Make sure if I throw in Jesus' name in there, oh, he's got to do it. 
And he's going, who are you? You don't belong to me. You have no authority to use my name. But we do it all the time. When you become married, you no longer live for yourself, but the one who's married, who you married. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Most of the time, we say, Jesus, follow me. Right? Because we want God to bless what we do instead of us doing what he's blessed. You know? Verse 25, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Give up who you are. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each. He will reward each according to his works. Some of us really need to be worried about that. Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom, Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some of us really should be worried, and I say us, because there's works I've done that are, that are not right. And there's works each and every person in here has done that's not right. It's selfish. If we really look down deep into the dark recesses of our soul, we don't even want anybody to see and look at why we really do what we do. You know, that's why Jesus, when he comes, that's why he starts telling you, look, it's not what you do on the outside. It's what happens in your heart. We're going to get in that a little bit deeper. I'm getting ahead. I'm pulling a Raymond, Daniel. And so <laughs> did it on myself. So in marriage, we died our old selves and we begin a new life. All right, Romans 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism in the death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Right? For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly in the likeness of his death. Most of us ain't willing to die. That's what the problem is. Most of us, we're not willing to kill off the old man. We, we want to hang on there, drag him. We want to take that corpse. Even if we give our lives to Christ, we want to take and drag that corpse along with us. Because I ain't willing to give him up. No. Where am I at? Sir, <laughs> thank you. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly also we shall walk in the likeness of his resurrection. We want the resurrection. We just, look, you cannot be resurrected until you die. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. You know, I heard a preacher one time. He said, Jesus didn't go to the cross so we wouldn't have to. He went to the cross to show us how. I can't take credit for it. Like I said, another preacher but <clears throat> that we would no longer be slaves of sin. Jesus died on the cross to free us from sin, not to free us to be able to sin. There's a big difference. We've taught the world that, well, you know what? You can just give your life to Christ, 
and everything will be hunky-dory, and you just keep on doing whatever you're doing. He'll, you know, he'll change you a little bit. Let me tell you something. He hit me like a freight train. I am no longer who I used to be. I'm not where I need to be, but hallelujah, I'm not where I used to be. You know, Ephesians 4.22 says that you put off, concerning your, put off your former conduct. Like I said, we, we want to keep dragging that cadaver with us. Don't be who you used to be. I tell you, I'm not. And thank God I'm not. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He tells us again, right? He tells us in Romans. You know, to be renewed in our mind. It's not that it starts up here, but it, it's got to get up here. Change the way. That's what repentance means. Repentance means change the way you think. We've been taught it just turn, meant turn and go in the opposite direction. No. When you change the way you think, you change your direction. You know? I mean, if we're all sitting here nice and calm right now. But I guarantee you, if a fire broke out, you would change the way you think right now. Everything would change. Mm. So what does it mean? What does a marriage look like? What is our role? Right? And the bad thing is I ain't even really gotten to the meat of the message yet. I'm just getting started. Ephesians 5. Find where I am in here. Here we go. Told you, not only messed her up, messed me up too. Christ left his father that he might cleave to us, and we and him should become one flesh. So, what does that look like? Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11. Sorry, Megan. Verse 3. Well, actually, let's start in verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I have just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That is stepping on some of you women's toes right now, I know. Because feminism has taught you, especially you, American feminism has taught you, oh no, you don't submit to your husband. Right? Because that's just... You know who feminists hate? I heard a, there's a preacher I listened to, his name Paul Washer. He said, feminists don't hate men. Feminists hate women because feminists want women to be men. They want you to take on a role that the man, that God has given the man. You know, the thing is, and we've, we've twisted this and we've made it where, well, how can I say this? Where everybody is equal in the house and they're not. You can't have a successful business if you've got equal partners, because there's going to be some headbutting going on. Now, granted, there's going to be some headbutting going on in the house. But here's the deal. 
she does not answer for what I do. She doesn't answer for what I'm responsible for. God has laid the responsibility of the household upon me. I'm just going to talk about my house. That way I don't make it, you know, when I, I'm done. So <clears throat> I started saying I'm not going to make anybody mad, but I know I'm there already, so I'm all right with it. And Brenda told me I need to stop apologizing anyway when I'm up here. So, <clears throat> so it does not do any good. We're, we're going to have a dysfunctional home if she's running the house and not me because that's not the way God set it up. Now, does that mean that I do not go to her and ask her opinion and ask her advice and discuss things? No, it does not mean that. It does not mean that I'm domineering. A lot of men have taken that to where, by gosh, you're here under my thumb because I'm in charge. No, that's an insecure leader is what that is. That's somebody who is not, you're not a leader anyway. You know, we had a leadership meeting the other day, and there was a statement I made is, a leader has no problems giving up control, but the controller will not give up the lead. And so, but here's the thing. I can't hold her accountable for her being submissive. Well, let me rephrase. I can't browbeat her into being submissive. That's her choice. Just like she can't browbeat me into loving her as Christ loved the church. That's my choice. That's my job. Right? Because when I stand before God, and trust me, each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says so. Right? Because we've been taught a lot of times that we don't have to worry about that. Because right, we're all give, we've given our lives to Christ. We no longer stand before judgment. Wrong. It tells us here, you know, I read a while ago that we all will be judged according to our works. Whether good or whether bad. Unless you think I'm speaking on a turn, Colossians 3, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Right? And, and the thing is, we got it. We take it where we've even gone so far to take submission and twist that word around where it doesn't mean what it actually means. Because we don't want, we don't want to submit. Right? If we don't get it right in the home, especially in the Christian home, there's no way the church is going to get it right. Because that's the whole purpose of this. It's a picture between Christ and his bride. And if we don't set the example in our homes of what that looks like or what it's supposed to look like biblically, how do we expect the whole church as a whole to, to get it right? See, I can talk to Joe because he's the only one that's not going to get up and yell at me after church. Because he knows I've got too much I can yell at him about, and I hadn't done it yet. So, <clears throat> Titus 2, 1 through 5. This is for, I'm going to start in verse 3. The older women, likewise. He, he, this is Paul speaking to Titus, and he's explaining, here's the roles of everyone in the church. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women, teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, not to be showing everybody everything you got, chaste, homemakers, good, old, obedient to their own husbands, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God, why do you need to be obedient to your husband? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. 
So if you are in constant rebelling, rebellion against your husband saying, he ain't going to tell me, he ain't going to make no decisions about me. Okay, explain that to God because you're blaspheming the name of the Lord. First Peter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do... Listen. Even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Oh my gosh, I grew up in the old time church of God where we were like this close to being Mennonites where women didn't wear makeup. I heard a preacher one time, I went to a youth group and the preacher got up and he said something that shocked everybody. He said, look, he said, you know, a lot of churches say, you know, women should wear makeup. He said, my gosh, I believe some women need all the help they can get. <laughs> he said it to a bunch of kids. He didn't say it out loud. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just what I repeated. I'm just, you know, what I heard. I'm not saying that. I think y'all all are beautiful. Except you, Joe. You... <laughs> uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Wow. Quiet spirit. Not running your mouth about everybody in the church. You ever notice, and especially with men, that most of the time the, the person who's respected the most is the one who's the quietest. The one who's always constantly running their mouth is the one that people just kind of, it, it's like the boy cries wolf and starts going in one ear and out the other. But it's the one who's the quietest. You know, like when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen because he didn't say a whole lot apparently. So when he says something, you know, I mean, I, there's a lot of us who've had fathers and grandfathers like that. Right? That when they spoke, you know, hey, this is important. I need to listen up. So, <clears throat> all right, man. Here we go. Going back to Ephesians, Megan, chapter 5. We're going to start verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Well, that's easy. I love my wife, right? Especially when she treats me the way I want her to treat me. I can really love her, right? Oh, wait, there's more. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I got to... I didn't give you one. I don't think. I didn't give you Isaiah 61, did I? Okay. I didn't know I was going to need it or not. Apparently, I didn't know if I was going to need it or not either. But something I wrote down a while back, I feel the Lord showed me. Didn't know if it was going to come 
cross. Isaiah 61 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Look, how many times have we been to a wedding and seen the bride in white and going, mm-mm, she don't need to be wearing that. Oh, don't sit out there like y'all ain't ever done it. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we come before Christ, we are clothed in white, but it's got nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with who I'm marrying. It's because he's cleaned me. He's clothed me. He's made me who I need to be. You know, there's a, in Matthew 22, there's a, there's a story of a, of a king who, who has a wedding for his son. And in this story, at the end of the story, there's a man in there. And the king walks up and says, why are you not in a wedding garment? Now, see, they would have understood that. We don't get it, right? Because we don't do like they do or like they did back then. You know, Jesus and them, they're at this wedding. Now, everybody wears something to say, I'm in agreement with this wedding, right? That's why you have all the bridesmaids on this side, and they're all dressed the same in those ugly dresses. And then you have all the men over here on this side, and they're dressed in the same color suit and, or tux and cummerbund. And, you know, those things are ugly, too. I don't know. I've, I've worn a few of them. But <clears throat> it's to say, I'm in agreement with this. Well, the difference is they would do that, but we provide our own, right? When the king's son got married, when the king gave a feast, gave a wedding, what happened was, you come in, and maybe we, we look at that story and we say, well, maybe he was just too poor to actually be able to afford a wedding garment. Here's the thing, though. He didn't have to dress himself because the king provided the garment for him. It's just, I come in, I want to be part of the wedding, but I don't want to dress the way you want me to dress. I don't want to be who you've called me to be. I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. I'm not going to be dressed. I just want to come sit in the pew. I don't want to actually be dressed the way you want me dressed. I'm not going to let you dress me up. I'm not going to let you change me. I'm not going to let you cover me. I just want to come in here and sit in the pew and check off the box and go to the house and, you know, eat fried chicken. There's nothing against fried chicken. I love it. I mean, ask, you know, Chick-fil-A. That's God's chicken. So, but... He has clothed us in his righteousness. He clothes us. He changes us. He makes us who he wants us to be. Right? 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. I am who I am because of him. Not the bad parts, only the good parts. The bad parts are the parts that I'm dragging the cadaver with me. I haven't let it go yet. I've got to get into this story. I've got to shut up. So, husbands, love your wives. Say, so husbands, verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Some of us nourish it a little bit more than we need to. Just as the Lord does the church. 
Verse 30, for we are members of his body. we got to remember that. Listen, it's not my job to build the church. It's not Brad's job to build the church. It's not anybody's job to build. It's Christ's. He told Peter, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Not upon this rock, I want you to build it. No. Why does he tell us? Go preach the gospel. That's it. Go preach the gospel. That's our job. Oh. Colossians 3, Megan. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. I think that's pretty much enough said. Quit complaining about her. Don't be talking about her to your buddies at work. And don't put up with anybody talking about her. I was working in a place one time. And working with a bunch of kids, it, to me, anybody under 30 is a kid. Well, actually, right now, anybody under 35 is a kid. But <clears throat> I had one guy say one time, he said, 30-year-old kid. I said, son, I was 40 years old, got called kid, so just get used to it. I'm 50, and this lady right here calls me kid all the time, so, you know, deal with it. <laughs> you know, when you can't call anybody a kid, yeah, <laughs> you got problems. But so, where's oh, I know where I was going. Sorry, squirrel. Um, so I'm working with a bunch of kids. And, and I said something, I know it's hard to believe, but I can be a smart aleck sometimes. But, see, Joe's over here going, man, <laughs> you have no idea. My wife's over there back there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She, if she could shake her whole body, she would right now. <laughs> so, but, but he said, you know, so, I mean, I was kidding around with him, and I popped off something. Well, in normal kid fashion, he says something to me, and he didn't mean it toward her. But he said something, you know, about my wife. And I told him, I said, son, do not go there. You can kid over me about anything else, but don't you dare touch my wife. Because nobody, and she's known it, she's seen it firsthand, you ain't going to disrespect my wife and get away with it. You ain't gonna, it ain't going to happen. You're going you're gonna to have to go through me. And I may not look like much, but I can be. <laughs> like I said, I wasn't always a Christian. Um, Titus 2, verse 2. Older men, this is to us. The bad thing is now it applies to me. Older men, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in Patience. Yeah. Have teenagers see how that works out for you. First mm. um, Peter three, verse seven. Husbands, right? This is this is. You know what? Back up because I need to take this in full context. Let's 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 go back to verse one. 
Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if they, if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you know, she won't do it. I've tried. She won't, she won't do it. It's in the Bible. She still won't do it. Whose daughters you are, if you, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Right? Then he goes into this. Husbands, likewise. What does that mean? Likewise. Everything she said, everything I just told her, you need to kind of act the same way. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Not giving in to the wife, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, why is God not answering my prayers? How are you treating your wife? How do you interact with your wife? Right? Right? Then, I think I'm going to have to hang. So, there's my introduction. <coughs> Set me out. Oh my gosh, we ain't going to eat. I'm not eating until dinner. That's all right. I hadn't eaten at all. You'll be fine. Like I said, some of us are nourished ourselves a little bit more than we needed to. So, verse 3. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet. Woman. In first century Jerusalem, that was a term of endearment. In 20th century Walker County, Alabama, if I called my mama woman, I either better be Jesus or I'm about to meet him. One of the two is about to happen. Right? <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, what's interesting about this, Jesus, Mary never told him to make wine. Right? She just told him he got a problem. How many times do we go to Jesus and we tell him the problem, but we also tell him the solution? Right? Jesus, I got this issue, and here's the way you need... Listen, I'm broke, and I need you to send me a check out of the sky right now. And he sends you a job. No, 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 that ain't what I asked for. That ain't what I'm looking for. Because we want the things where he don't require anything out of us. We just want him to be able to do things and just let it just lay it on our doorstep. Especially nowadays, I mean, I'm not even going to get into that. Because the thing is, he knows the answer before we even ask, right? Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I heard a preacher one time, he said, you know, the thing is, if you know him well enough, all you got to do is tell him your problem and he'll show up early. But, you know, the thing is, we serve an on-time God. That he may show up. We think it's early. We think it's late. But we realize he's just on time. You know, the thing is, 
Do you feel sometimes like you're out of wine? Like you got nothing left. I've given everything I can give. I've done everything I can do. Lord, what do I need to do? Just fill me up, Lord. All you got to do is ask. Ask, seek, and knock. I know I'm dragging on. Like I said, the thing is, Luke 18 may not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Well, I done got everything all jacked up. Welcome to my life. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Oh my gosh. Mm. <laughs> Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together. I'm going to tell you something. If there's anybody in here right now who knows that all things work together, all i got to do is look right there. God works things out for our good whether we like it or not. There's, look, I've been through hell the past four months. There's been things going on in our lives that, that I didn't know. There's times I didn't know when my dad was going to make it. I didn't know if he was going to. I didn't know what was happening. And I was looking and I'm going, God, why? Why now? Why is this happening? What's going on? And I realized he's, through this, is answering prayers that I've been praying for 15 stinking years. He's just on time. I may look and think that he's late, but he's just on time. I may look and think there's no way this is good, but he's great and he's awesome. My God is awesome. <laughs> Who are the called according to... This is his purpose, not mine. It's all about his purpose. It ain't about Raymond Early. You know... I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my watch and I'm worried about running late and I'm worried about everybody getting out of here. I got stuff I've got to do after church. Trust me, you're not the only ones. But you know, the thing is, in the book of Ezra, it said people stood from morning until midday just listening. All he was doing was reading the Bible. If we got in here right now and we started just reading the Bible, most of y'all would get up and walk out after 20 minutes because you don't care anything about this. You need to be entertained. You've got to make sure that I get up here and I yell and I scream at a certain time and I do the things that need to be done. Because you're just checking the box. And say, I can't sit here. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I'm talking to everybody out there. Because look, there's probably about eight people going to watch this. So I know that I'm speaking to this group right here, right now. And this guy standing right here, right now. Yes, the butterflies have left, Dustin. <laughs> Whatever he says to you, do it. This is what's awesome. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Right? 
Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Look, whatever he says to you, do it. Here's the thing. She didn't tell them, and she didn't ask him for the answer. She just said whatever he says. If he could have told the servants, listen, y'all leave. It ain't my time. She was willing to do that. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to look at Jesus and say, whatever you say, I'll do it? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in, is in Acts where, where the Holy Spirit tells Philip, get up, go on the road to, I can't remember where he was going. It's one of my favorite stories. I can't remember where he was going. Anyway, my favorite line in that story is he says, and this is desert. He's sending Philip into a deserted place. Philip has no idea why he's going there, and then he runs into the Ethiopian. And most of us know the story. He runs into the Ethiopian. He ends up preaching the gospel to him, gets him baptized, and this man is able to take the word of God all the way to Ethiopia across the world. All because one man said, I'll go even if I don't know where I'm going. Even if it looks like where I'm going has absolutely nothing and is barren, I'm still going because you said go. You know, the thing is, Jesus is a groom. We're the bride. He's the head, not us. We need to remember that. Is that he says go, we go. He says stay, we stay. He says do it, we do it. He says don't do it, we do it. You know, we're the servants who's supposed to do the work. Nehemiah 3.5, it says, Next to them, the Tekoites, Brad has been preaching on this, building the wall, right? And, and, and he, he touched on this, but it says, But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Oh, I'm a leader. I don't need to work. I don't have to get my hands dirty. I'm only going to do the things I want to do, right? I, I'll, I'll do the parts that, that I feel like doing. Right? I want to do, you know, you ever had a baby? It's nasty at times. But I'm going to tell you something. It's in, those, it's in those dirty times where you really get to know him. It's in those dirty times where you really get to know. You're going to find out. It's in those really nasty, stinky times. You'll go through some junk, but you know what? It's because you love them. And it's those times where you get to know that baby. It's those times where you... Some of my greatest revelations about God have been with changing diapers. I remember sitting there one time. I was on the bed with Alyssa, or, or she was on the bed, and I'm sitting there changing her diaper, trying not to get, you know, pee in my face. And so... Uh, say the, the parents understand that so I'm sitting there and I'm changing her and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking I just it, it, I had this sudden feeling of just overwhelming love and awe and it, it's, it's hard to explain parents know it you know what I'm talking about and all she can do is lay here cry and smile and eat and poop and pee and I'm having to do everything for her. And I understand. It's in that moment when I understood when God looked down, when John baptized Jesus and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's not because he, did, he hadn't done the first miracle yet. It's just because he belongs to me. And you know, here's the thing about it. If we belong to him, he looks at us the exact same way. 
This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. We need to do whatever he says, no matter how big or how small. We need to listen. We need to be listening for the still small voice as much as we listen for the shout. Right? John 5, verse 38 through 40. It doesn't matter. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here, okay? These people have the whole Pentateuch, the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all memorized. Frontward to backward, backward, right? They've got it all memorized. And Jesus looks at them, he says, But do, you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He's looking at people who have the whole book memorized and saying, You do not have his word abiding in you. Because they didn't understand. And we do the same thing. We think because we know this book, we know him. No. You may know all about him and not have a clue who he is. You know, you don't know somebody until you walk with them every day. You don't know somebody. I thought I knew my wife till we moved in. We got married. She thought she knew me until we got married. And then she probably changed her mind. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's, he's telling them, the scriptures are to lead you to me. So, Jesus, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And they said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, the thing is, I've often wondered, why did he use these pots? Do you understand what these pots were for? These were not pots for drinking water out of. This is where you come and you wash your hands. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these people, they had a certain tradition. You wash your hands, you wash your feet. These were things where you cleaned the outside. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus does things in a little unorthodox manner most of the time. Because he don't want us to get used to saying, well, he's going to do it this certain way. If you ever look, Jesus never did, the same, did a miracle the same way twice. Because he wants us to focus on him and not on the miracle. Because we will get caught up. We'll get caught up in doing things a certain way. We'll do things. We've got to have a script. Right? We do it and we say, well, you know, he's a God of order. No, what you're saying is you want to make sure you do it your way, right? Because there was a church we used to go to that Brenda was on the praise team, of course. And so they sang, they always sang four songs. And then all of a sudden the pastor, I think he had heard it from some other big church. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play three songs 
And then before the last song, I'm going to get up and I'm going to say a prayer. And then that's really going to bring the Holy Spirit in. And then that way we can, we can make sure we do that. And so we started doing that every time. Play three songs, say the prayer, then we're going to play the third song. Then we're going to play the last song. Because that's what's going to bring God in. We got our order, we got the way we're going to do things, and this is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, and the majority of the time, what happened was, it ended up shutting it down. You could Because we got to make sure we get that in just right. Because it's something we made up or it's something that he heard from somebody else. I got to stop. I'm going to try to um, get out. I know y'all are ready to go. <clears throat> but he, <laughs> there was the only one who'd still be sitting here. So, they wash their hands in these things. And Jesus takes something that is, you know, and it's not like they dipped it out and washed it. I mean, they washed their hands. This stuff is nasty. It's dirty. And Jesus, if you think he will not get in your dirt, he will get in your mud, and he will clean up what you... He only told them to fill them up. The servants filled them to the brim. Are we just trying to carry just enough, or are we filling ourselves up to the brim? Are we letting him fill us up to the brim? You know? And, but he took the water. Because I often wonder, why didn't he use the wineskins? Because, you know, the wineskins are, you know, because I mean... They, yeah, it says do not put new wine in the old wineskins. Well, they're at a party. So they're not that old. You could just, you know, fill them up with water. No, because he wanted to make sure that they knew that where this come from was not natural. That it, there was no mistaking of what happened. Right? And so he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. So it wasn't until they drew the wine or drew the water. It didn't say that he turned the water into wine. In the, it's when they drew it and took it to the master. It's when we take what he's given us that we think is just normal and we draw it out and we give it to the master. That's when it becomes special. That's when it starts to change lives. That's when it starts to cleanse who he meant for it to cleanse. You know, the thing is, this whole thing is they took that water. That water was used for the outside. You know, we got to understand what wine was in the first century. The first century, wine was not simply just... If you drank straight wine, you were considered a barbarian. Right? We let people come into church all the time. We'll, we'll put them in charge. It don't matter if they're drinking Jack or whatever they're doing on their own time, right? But you were considered a barbarian. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. He takes what was meant to cleanse the outside and turns it into something to cleanse the inside. That's the picture, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right here in these verses, this one little thing that he does is he takes where the law says, I want you to cleanse me from the outside in. He says, no, I'm going to cleanse you from the inside out. So, why does he do this? 
One, we got to understand, Jesus was invited to the wedding. This miracle never would have happened. They would have just simply ran out of wine. And that would have been the end of it. They would have been the laughing stock because they didn't count the cost. They didn't understand. They didn't have enough. But because they simply invited Jesus in, and when they invited Jesus in, he changed everything. He, he turned. You have kept the good wine until now. If he had any idea that he took the nasty stuff and made it the best stuff, I mean, he's taken the nastiest in me and made it the best? Really? Because it's only through him that he's able to do this. But here's what I need you to see. John 19. Jesus starts his ministry at a wedding. And he takes something nasty. And he turns it into something beautiful and gives it to us. And then, verse 28... Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been stripped. He's had nails through his hands and his feet. He's prayed in the garden, my God, my God. He said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. What's in the cup? It's not the beating. It's not the crucifixion. It's the wrath of God. It's he endured the wrath of God that we should be enduring. He's taken everything from us that we should be enduring. Everything, all the nastiness, everything that we should be getting, he took it for us. That's what was in the cup. After this, verse 28, knowing all things that were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He took the nastiness in me and drank it himself. And he said, now it's finished. Now it's over. Now it's done because I have accomplished it. Jesus is asking all of us, are you willing to take and draw out something that's nasty and give it to him? Because only he can take it and he can cleanse it. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's all up to him. And it's only by him and through him that we are able to do this. If you've got something ready, go ahead. But... I believe he's looking for a church that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And the only way we can be that way is if we come to Christ. If you don't know him, I'm begging you. And I know this is a small church and it's a small congregation, but I promise you, I guarantee you, there are some of you sitting in here right now who do not know Jesus. Why is that? Because he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. And there are few who find it. It's something to be sought after. He's not just going to show up. 
We've got to seek after him. We've got to seek after his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. It's seeking after him. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, that you have turned our water into wine. I thank you, Lord, that you drank the vile sin that I have poured out, Lord, and you took it, and you took it to hell and the grave, and that you've changed us, that you've changed me, Lord, that you've made me into who you want me, that you are constantly making me who you want me to be. Lord, I ask you to forgive me where I've fallen short, Lord. Forgive us all. Lord, help us to be repentant, Lord. Help us to come to you and to seek after you, Lord, and to search for you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done and all you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that you would watch over each and every person here today, Lord, that you would keep them safe. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts and, and, and change our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord, to submit to you in everything that we are. To give everything over to you, Lord. Lord, I praise you. And I give you the glory and the honor, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.